Some of us with good memories may remember um, back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, a TV show uh, which was uh, called Changing Rooms. You remember that? Mm, some, some of you are too young for that. But anyway, it was <laughs> it was an uh, interesting kind of idea where people, friends, would do up uh, a room in their friend's house. They'd kind of swap over, um, aided and abetted by some designers, um, in inverted commas, and a handyman who could do miracles with MDF at the time. The sales of MDF rocketed up during that period, I, I believe. And uh, the climax of that show uh, coined, a, I think, coined the phrase for all similar show, shows. It was one of the first ones that did, did this. Remember, the climax of it was uh, called The Reveal. When you know, the people kind of came in, blindfolded, and they had to take their eyes off and react to what their friends and the designers had done to their rooms. And it was very exciting um, as uh, there were either kind of whoops of joy or sometimes howls of horror to see what these people had done. One time, it's not funny really, one person, uh, one of the most famous things that went wrong on the show was when uh, the, the Handy Andy, or whoever it was, his name was, had put up these MDF shelves. That a, a lady had got a kind of lifetime's collection of antique teapots, which were on the shelves, and the shelves gave way, uh, and the whole lot kind of came down and was smashed on the floor. So that didn't work out very well. But on the whole, it was good entertainment, apparently. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, because we're continuing our learning from the book of Genesis... And we're looking into the life story of Joseph. And today, in chapter 45, we kind of began it last week. We've got the reveal, okay? It's the moment, it is the climactic moment when Joseph um, kind of reveals himself, uh, you know, tells his brothers who he really is. And it's even more dramatic than uh, it was in the 90s and early 2000s with Carol Smiley and her special friends there. So let's look at uh, Genesis 45, and hopefully you'll see what I mean by that. It's on page 50 and then 51 of the Bibles nearby. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. Remember, Joseph has become the governor of Egypt, the top man apart from the king. And he's got his brothers there. And he tells his attendants, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They didn't know it was him, obviously. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, uh, so there will be, uh, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth 
and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because the years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You're also instructed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. This is amazing. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. Little touch of realism there, I think, from Joseph. He knew his brothers. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel, that's the other name for Jacob, said, I am convinced my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So there is this sense of shock, isn't it? This mixture of extreme emotions. As Lou explained last week, Joseph, this word for him crying, is like a howling, like an animal noise almost. It's this gut-wrenching kind of release of, of, of emotion. As we heard last week, there are tears. There's terror from the brothers. There's joy. You know, that's why it's a bit like the end of changing. You know, there, there's hugging and there's kissing and there's talking. And it's, it's just amazing how everything is, is now different. This is Joseph. Now at the point where he tells his brothers who he is and that he's forgiven them despite all the awful things they had done to him. Now, it's important this, I think. If you notice, he can do this now because he knows that something has happened in their hearts. What's happened? 
Well, they've repented. How do we, how do we know that? Well, all of them had just had the opportunity to do exactly the same thing again. Leave Benjamin behind in Egypt and leg it off back to Canaan. But they didn't do that. And Judah is not going to break his father's heart again. He wants it to be different from now on. They know they've done wrong. They've actually said so. They're sorry. And they don't want any repeats of this. They have no excuses. They just want everything to be right. And that whole process has been going on. If you track the brothers kind of experience through these chapters, that's happening. What they've just been through is what the Bible calls repentance. You know that it's wrong. You're sorry about it. It's not, you don't want it ever to happen again. You want things to be put right. All of that goes into what the Bible calls repentance. And that's been their experience. And I think it's important for us, as uh, some of us uh, have perhaps some, you know, forgiveness is costly, as we have seen. But uh, when it comes to some of these really big issues, some of the things that maybe some of us have been through, it's important to see that there are two stages in the forgiveness process. And, uh, and we kind of see it in Joseph's experience a little bit. There's that sense of letting go of what's happened to you. You know, someone has done something terrible and it's almost like a debt they owe you. You want to be paid back. Uh, and there's an, a stage in repentance or in, sorry, in forgiveness where you kind of let that go before God. You say, I, I, I kind of let it go. In one sense, yeah, I do forgive them. And if someone says, like, like um, the, 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 the guy from Enniskillen, he was quite open to say, yeah, I forgive the people who, who murdered my daughter. Remember that whole bomb thing years ago? Um, but but he, what he was saying is, I've let that go. I'm not holding on to it. And that's one stage in the process. But it kind of has to stay there, doesn't it? Until the person repents, until the person comes and says, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I need to be back. And at that point, you can say, I forgive you, yeah, let's, let's move on. There are, these, there are these kind of two senses. You see it here in it. And Joseph waits until they've repented, till they want it to be different before he declares that forgiveness, although he's, he's almost certainly kind of let it go uh, well before then. I think that's important. So when the person does repent and wants it to be put right and says, I'm, I, I realize I did a terrible thing, you, you can then. You don't have to you know, go into therapy for a few months before you can actually say, yeah, it's okay. I was hurt, but let's start again. And, and uh, you know, if you've been struggling with some things, that might be helpful. I remember once I heard somebody, I had a, a, an issue, someone uh, had kind of touched me, or not touched physically, but there, there was a situation. Uh, and uh, I found it so helpful, actually, to know I could let it go before God. And if that, that person never, ever said sorry, well, that's their problem. You know, between me and the Lord, I can kind of let it go. Because some of the things we hold on to are more like grievances, you know, stuff people do 
that kind of ex- uh, upset us. Uh, we, I don't know if you were reading Word Live, we, we, if you follow House of Prayer, our, our kind of Facebook prayer group, which you, is a, it's not an open group. If you want to be part of it, you have to ask us and you have to be on Facebook to do that. But we parallel the scripture in Word Live readings. And one of the readings this week was in Colossians 3, verse 13. And I was reading it and it says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgives you. And I was thinking, and I was personally challenged. It says forgive grievances. Or if you have a complaint about someone. And these are little things. And I was thinking that there were some things I was a bit oh, annoyed about. Saying, but I realized it's my problem, you know. It's not, you know, I, I, and I just kind of let it go. You know, so, you know, someone had done something that annoyed me or irritated me. They didn't know. They'd hurt me and they didn't mean to. And I was kind of holding on to it. And there was really no need for me to say anything. I said, oh, Lord, I, I forgive that. I, I let that go. And you know, I felt very um, relieved. And it's only a little thing, but my heart was a bit lighter as a result. Obviously, if it matters, if it's more than that, the Bible makes it very clear that we should talk to another person and say, look, actually what you did... Uh, I found that a bit hurtful, you know, and, and that's important because it could be a misunderstanding. You could be reading some one thing when a person's meant something different. I think you know, something that happened to me two or three weeks ago. And someone said, look, you know, when you said that, I thought this. And, and it was helpful to know that. I said, no, I didn't mean that. Let's talk about it. We talked about it. And it helps me to be more sensitive about how I express what's going on in my head with that particular person. So there's that kind of element as well. But the point is this. Forgiveness is something we need to live with, isn't it? It needs to be part of our lives as Christian believers. Well, not just as Christians. Forgiveness in society is a really big thing. So today, we're thinking about living with forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We need to be forgiven by ourselves sometimes. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive one another. We need to be forgiven by others. You know what a royal warrant is? You know what a royal warrant is? Here's one. I don't think you can read that. I can't on that screen. It's actually, it says, by appointment to Her Majesty the Queen... Purveyors of cereals, Kellogg's Marketing. It's, uh, it's Kellogg's, you know, they make cereals that the Queen likes to eat. And so she gives the company one of those. The reason I'm saying that is because of that word, purveyors of cereals. That means they, they are known for their cereals and they, cereals are available from Kellogg's and the Queen loves to eat Kellogg's cereals. Okay? Wouldn't it be great? If we didn't have something like that, but we had something that said, Portswood Church, purveyors of forgiveness. Wouldn't that be good? Not to the Queen, although we can forgive her, obviously, if she harmed us. But purveyors of forgiveness to one another, out from here. Not for the Queen, but in the name of our King, Jesus. How about us becoming? Wouldn't that be good, eh? If we could be, wouldn't it be amazing if churches were, could have that outside of their, their buildings or in their communities? So-and-so church, purveyor of forgiveness. Imagine that. Hold that thought. Let's think from this passage now about what forgiveness looks like. 
Because this passage gives us a powerful picture of what this kind of forgiveness looks like. And here again, it's a really big deal, isn't it? We can't, this isn't just like, you know, his brothers have annoyed Joseph or, you know, something's kind of gone a bit wrong. This is major, major difficulty and sin as we've seen. Joseph has been grievously sinned against by his brothers, as we know from the story. They abused him. They imprisoned him. They ripped his clothes off him and threw him into a a pit. They sold him. They trafficked him into slavery, quite literally. They lied about him. They sought to remove his memory from from his father's kind of whole life. They had done some terrible, terrible things. But look what happens now. They have repented. At great cost to Joseph. That's what all the howling is about, as we saw last week. But look what he does. Look what it's like. What happens? Well, firstly, look, the relationship is restored. Verse 3. What a lovely verse that is. He says to his brother, I am Joseph. Then he says, uh, verse 4, come close to me. The relationship can be restored. I'm your brother. That's part of forgiveness, a restored relationship. He says, look, there's no need for you to condemn yourselves. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Now, this is really interesting because he doesn't say it was nothing. He doesn't say it doesn't matter. He actually says several times, you sold me. You sold me here. You did that. I'm not minimizing that. That's what you did. You sold me. And I'm sure uh, after, you know, previously he could have added a few um, descriptions of what he thought of them for doing that. But now he's in a different place. He said, you really did sell me. It was real and it was wrong. But he's saying it's not going forward. He's also saying that in one sense it's over. Because he says now there is a new start. A new future. He's saying look come and live with me. There's plenty of food. We're going to start a new life. It's full of promise and it's full of hope. And what we see in Joseph here is a kind of prototype Of this kind of forgiveness. This is what real forgiveness looks like. Now can you dare to hope. That we could see more of that. More like that. Well it does happen sometimes. You know in in our kind of world. People do the right thing. They don't necessarily have to be Christians to do the right thing. You think about uh, the famous after you know. Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, that was very much part of this. Very much uh, being real about the wrong, being uh, willing to admit it and want it to be different and then moving on. It is possible. This is a good model of forgiveness. Uh, we watched a DVD in the week. Uh, you may have seen the film. It's uh, based on a true story. It's called The Railway Man. Anyone seen the film The Railway Man? Nicole Kidman, uh, Colin Firth. It's a powerful film, isn't it? It's quite slow and steady, but it kind of builds up kind of emotionally. And it's the story of a, a, a prisoner of war from the Japanese uh, Burmese Railway, you know, the bridge over the River Kwai Railway. 
and how he, uh, in through different means, comes face to face with the, the person who is part of the team who tortured him and what happens. It's a story, real true story, of remarkable, it kind of looks into what forgiveness really means on both sides. Very powerful film. So it can happen, can't it? But what if it were the norm in relationships in a community? What if that became normal? Well, well, hold that thought. Because I want us to think now about where this forgiveness comes from. Because Joseph gives us some important clues. See, we can imagine how the brothers feel. Well, we don't have to imagine because the Bible tells us they're terrified. I mean, all the guilt. Can, now they know that this kind of high-powered governor dude in Egypt was, in fact, the very Joseph that they had uh, abused, trafficked, thrown into the thing, wanted dead, lied about, etc. You can un- understand that, you know, well, they must be thinking, whoa, no wonder he was acting a bit strangely towards us or what's going to happen to us now? And the way he forgives them is astonishing, isn't it? What he does... So where does that come from? How does Joseph do that? How, you know, where does that kind of forgiveness, where do do we get that from? That's important, isn't it? Because we might need some of that in our lives. Well, Joseph tells us himself, actually. He tells his brothers that it came from God being at work in his life. Somehow he knew that God was enabling him to forgive his brothers in this way. Now, all through the story, we've learned three things about God through Joseph's life. I don't know whether you can remember what they are, but we've referred to it a few times. They are, first of all, that God is faithful. And and Joseph's experience proved that. Second thing, we've seen that God is good. That God has good purposes, and, and we read in Romans 8.28, don't we, in the New Testament, that God is at work for good in all things. And thirdly, that God is present. God is faithful, God is good, God is present. How are you feeling? Feel like a little bit of sign language? If you try this, okay. So if we say God is faithful, God is faithful. Do you want to say that? Say it together. God is faithful. God is good. What's the sign for good? Thank you. God is good. I don't know what the sign for present is. Perhaps somebody does. But I was going to say, like, God is present. Like a little hug, I suppose you could say. So show it together then. Ready? God is faithful. God is good. God is present. And that runs through the whole of Joseph's story. Actually, it runs through the story of, through the Bible, of God's, God's truth about his people and about his heart and about how he works. God is faithful. God is good. God is present. It's good to hold on to that when it's hard to see it. Sometimes you have to say, I can't see this, Lord, but I'm going to believe that you are faithful. You are good. You are present. Joseph knew that God was real and so he trusted him. Now it's interesting, the brothers also knew that God was real. 
But they knew God in their consciences. Did you notice that on their journey? And they knew that they were accountable. In, in verse 44, chapter 44, verse 16, uh, Judah, who's in some ways kind of uh, the most culpable one, he says, God has uncovered your servant's guilt, he tells Joseph. So the brothers kind of knew that God was willing, but, but it was there in their consciences. They knew that God was on their case. And sometimes we can be like that, can't we? The Holy Spirit convicts us. We know that we need to have something put right with God. He's on our case. But he is faithful. He's good. He's present. As we shall see. Joseph knew that the brothers had did him great harm. But he also knew that God was working good out of it. So he says, as I said before, you sold me. You sold me. But he says, but God sent me. Now, the fact that he says God sent me isn't saying, so it's okay, it doesn't matter. He's saying, I don't want you to be condemned because I've forgiven you. But he's not saying that it wasn't really your fault. God was just pulling your strings to make you do that. No, no, they were quite free to do it. They were wrong to do it. But God used the bad things they did to bring something good out of it. So he says, you sold me, but God sent me. More than that, Joseph sees that there's a kind of a rescue that God is working he says that God is doing, uh, doing something bigger here. He's bringing the whole family to Egypt for a great deliverance. Now, we've been studying Genesis a long time. In fact, if you like Genesis, we've been doing it for about five or six years in different chunks. You can listen to every sermon on Genesis probably uh, on the website if you feel like you want to catch up and you've got a few months to spare. But anyway, uh, if we're back in Genesis 15... When God appears to Abraham one time, uh, God tells Abraham, look, in the future, your descendants will go to another land and it will be three or four hundred years before you come back and I make you into the great nation. I wonder whether Joseph knew that. We don't know for sure. He may have got that in his mind. Jacob certainly knew it, as we'll pick up in, in the next few chapters. You see, the story of the Bible is the story of how God uses Joseph's family and Joseph's people to save, eventually, whoever in the world will repent and come to God. That's the whole big story. That's the big story of the Bible. That's the story that Joseph is part of. That's what his family, Abraham's family, the Jewish nation, and then uh, the Lord Jesus comes, and then, then the Holy Spirit uh, goes out, and all the, inherit, all the promises for the Jewish people that they would know God are now available to all people from everyone who, who trusts in Jesus and comes to know God through him. That's all available. That's what part of this big plan. Obviously, Joseph doesn't know that that's going to happen. Unless he has remarkable insight, but he certainly doesn't say so here. But there is this plan that's going on. And Joseph's forgiveness for his brothers anticipates the way God deals with any of us who repent and come to him. Who said, Joseph said to his brothers, come to me. Who said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Who said that? Jesus said that. Who told the story of forgiveness, the most powerful story of forgiveness of all? And there's at least one person whose life has come back to God because of that forgiveness. I'm deliberately not looking at them, I'm looking out there. Who told the story of the father who forgave his wayward son? 
and didn't treat him and, and, you know, again, forgot it all and gave him everything and, you know, said it doesn't matter, come and have a new... Who, who, who told that story? Jesus, the prodigal son. Who said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing? Jesus. You see, this kind of example, this prototype forgiveness here in Genesis is a a powerful picture. This is what true forgiveness looks like. And this is the, the, the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. And so when we think about ourselves, Joseph trusted God. He saw a little of what God was doing and he went with that. He trusted him. He looked forward and saw God had some kind of plan. We, on the other side of the cross, we look back and we see what God has done. We know the big story. We know that Jesus came as one of Joseph's clan, one of Judah's descendants. Judah, you know, the ringleader, the one who offered himself as a substitute last week. Jesus came as his descendant. And that God's purpose is to rescue whoever wants to come to him uh, have been fulfilled through Jesus. We look back and see that now. And Joseph saw how God turned evil to good in his life and he forgave. We look at the cross that we were singing about earlier. And we see how God turned the worst possible evil. You know, you can't get much worse than torturing uh, and crucifying the son of God. The only human being who lived on the earth who was utterly pure, utterly good, utterly righteous, utterly loving. I mean, it's not much worse, there's nothing much worse than mutilating, humiliating him, executing him. There's not not much worse than that, is there, really? And God God took that and he turned it to a glorious liberation, as we see, as we've sung. We look back on that. And we have been forgiven, or we can be forgiven by Jesus. And we can then live in that forgiveness. See, Joseph, look what Joseph tells his father. He is an amazing thing. He says, Joseph says to his father, look what God has done for me and come and share in it. We can say to people we know, look what God has done for us and come and share in it. We can live in forgiveness just as Joseph did. Even those massive things that can be so painful and crippling in our lives. We can forgive like Joseph. We have the Holy Spirit to help us too. But we can also be forgiven like the brothers. So let's think a little bit finally about living with forgiveness. See the great news is that forgiveness can be ours. The story screams it loud and clear as we saw last week. God has made it possible for us to be forgiven. Like the brothers, we might know that we've done wrong against God. There are wrong things in our lives. And like the brothers, maybe we know that God is on our case. And like the brothers, maybe we want it to be right again. The brothers had no idea that they would be reconciled with Joseph. That was a bonus. For us, the key thing is that we're in the right place before God. We're forgiven by him. Now, it might not happen for us that we can be reconciled with those we've hurt by our sin. But God can work his goodness out of our badness. So what do we do? Well, let's repent. Let's ask him to forgive us. Let's start there. Do that. 
Ask him to lead you into the next steps. And let's see this amazing provision that God has made through Jesus, who told us he gave his life as a ransom. He put himself in our place as he dies on the cross. So he's saying, because the sinful savior, the, the, the sinless savior died, and I've forgotten the next line, so that I can go free. I, the guilty one, can go free. So, so repent. Do what the brothers did. If there's sin in your life or in mine, let's turn away from it. Let's change our minds about it. It's wrong and we need to be forgiven and we need help to change. Come back to Jesus. Hear him say, come close to me. Hear him say, I'm your brother. What you've done doesn't matter to me. We have a future together. If you never come to Jesus like that, you can. And you can be forgiven and start again. And when we've received that, let's pay that forward. Let's not do paying back. Let's pay it forward into our relationships with one another. Forgive one another, the Bible says, as God in Christ has forgiven you. That means that in our relationships, we live in forgiveness. So that means that we want things that go wrong to be put right, whether we're responsible or someone else is. We want to live in a way that enables forgiveness. So if it's something that just niggled us and become a grievance, well, we should just let it go. Or if it's more, then we need to talk to the person about it and seek to be reconciled because we want to be purveyors of forgiveness. And if you don't, if I've upset you or wronged you, how can I know forgiveness, uh, your forgiveness, or move on in any way? If you just did that, oh, I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> I'm going to say you'll form a queue now afterwards and tell me. But, but, but you know what I mean? You know, we, we, we've got, if, we, if we're going to be purveyors of forgiveness, we need to live in a way where it's a natural thing in the world to, to not just say, oh, oh yeah, forget that. Because that, that's how our relations get so shallow. But to be willing in appropriate ways to say, either, either put it right with the Lord and let it go, so it doesn't matter, or if it needs to be talked about, talk about it. And then once we've done that, never mention it again. <laughs> That's what forgiveness means. Never mentioning it again, because it no longer matters. There's a great verse in the Bible that talks about God's forgiveness. And it says, God chooses to remember our sins no more. It doesn't say God forgets, because how can God forget anything? He's the almighty God. But he chooses not to remember. And sometimes with us, we have to kind of choose not to remember. I choose to let it go. And a particular warning, beware of second-hand grievances. (laughs) Don't get worked up about someone else's problem. If let them sort it out, encourage them to do that if necessary. That doesn't mean, of course, that if there's gross injustice, we should ignore it. That's a different matter. I'm talking about like one-to-one relationships. So we need to live in forgiveness. We've had forgiveness from God's generous hand to us, and we can pass that on to others. Remember what Joseph's life teaches us about God? God is faithful. God is good. God is present faithful he has forgiven us in christ good he will work goodness in all the circumstances so let's go with that and he is present 
As we live in forgiveness, we know his joy in us and we live to please him. Let's pray as we continue. Father, we thank you so much for your huge generosity and forgiving us. We thank you for the cost that you paid. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price in the pain and the suffering and the isolation from your Father so that we might be freely forgiven. Lord, we pray that if we've never known that for ourselves, that we may turn from sin and trust you, ask for your forgiveness and welcome your Lordship into our lives. And Father, those of us, and I guess that's most of us, if not all of us, just know that forgiveness. Well, Lord, we want to pray that you would help us to forgive one another as you have forgiven us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.